0: Welcome to Break the Stigma, a podcast where we aim to destigmatize the topic of mental health one conversation at a time. My name is Sanjana, and today we'll be interviewing Brooklyn, a therapist at City House. (laughs) joined City House in 2020 as a case manager and moved into the therapist position in 2021. Her role is to provide individual, family, and group therapy to clients 17 and younger. Brooklyn provides therapy to all of the residents who lived at My Friend's House Shelter as well as outpatient community clients. Her background is in social work and Brooklyn is a licensed master social worker. She has previously worked in other child welfare settings and is a huge advocate for mental health awareness. Thank you so much for joining us, Brooklyn. Absolutely. Uh, So to get started, could you just describe a little bit more about your job as a therapist in general and what work do you do specifically for City House?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I am um, the therapist for all of our clients 17 and under. So um, I provide individual therapy to all of our residents at my friend's house shelter, as well as therapy to outpatient clients, um, clients who maybe don't have access to mental health care due to Cost, Uh, we provide free short term counseling to them as well. So I am the primary therapist for that. So I do individual therapy, family therapy, uh, as well as group therapy.
0: Wow. Okay. And so you said that you serve clients 17 and younger. Are there, is there like a specific um, age group within that that you typically see, or is it like a wide range from zero to 17? (laughs)
1: It's a pretty wide range. Uh, My youngest client has been four. So I would say four to 17. I'm not opposed to seeing younger. It just looks a lot different. So uh, right now my youngest is four and my oldest is 17.
0: And how often do you see these clients? Most
1: of the time, it's once a week. Um, If I'm providing family therapy as well, then I'll have individual once a week and family therapy once a week. So that would be twice for them. And then I run a weekly group for our teenagers and a weekly group for our elementary kiddos. So um, they see me a lot, but for individual therapy, it's once a week.
0: Okay, um, and are these sessions like pro bono or heavily discounted? And if so, like how many sessions would you offer?
1: Yeah, great question. So, all of our services are completely free. So, our residents who live at the shelter, um, I see them for therapy during their stay and then can provide therapy for three months after they discharge from our shelter. For our community clients, clients who do not stay with us at our shelter, I can see them, um, usually around eight to 10 ish sessions. So if I feel like when I first meet them, that they are going to need longer term therapy, I'll refer out to other affordable mental health care clinicians so that they get their needs met there. But if I feel like they, um, are appropriate for short-term therapy, then I can see them for eight to 10 sessions. That's two to three months usually.
0: Okay. And, um, without you know disclosing personal information of course um what pers- like what have you seen um are the most common mental health issues or illnesses that you've dealt with or you've seen with the specific um demographic
1: I'm mostly treating uh, depression and anxiety and trauma so lots of PTSD symptoms post traumatic stress disorder um as well as Depression, anxiety, panic attacks, that type of thing. In children, mental health presents a little bit different most times. And so, one of the things that I tell parents all the time is that behavior is communication. So, if a child's behavior is different than typical, if they're displaying more aggression, concentration problems, um nightmares things like that that that's an often indicator of something going on emotionally and so when younger kids come to me that's usually what they're reporting
0: mm-hmm.
1: the mental health issues is usually depression anxiety and trauma those are the tried and true that i see
0: mm-hmm. and how exactly does treatment work like what factors do you assess before recommending a treatment plan and how does, how does treatment work knowing that some of these clients may not be long-term?
1: Great questions, yeah. So um, I always do an assessment first. So that assessment's usually about an hour long. So about the time of an average session. And during that assessment, I am asking questions like, what do you do for fun? Who are your friends? Um, and I'm assessing for social connection there. Having social connections is one of the biggest protective factors. So I'm assessing, do you have people in your corner? So that's a big thing I assess. Um, I'm also assessing for suicidal thoughts um, or self-harm. Those are big things I'm looking at before I recommend anything. And after I assess if I feel like they have some things that can get worked on in a short amount of time, Then we begin treatment, and it's really collaborative, especially for teenagers um, and older kids. I want to know from them, hey, what's important to you to work on? I don't see clients for counseling unless they want to be there, Um, and so it's a collaborative effort of what's the most important I always start with coping skills nine times out of 10 um, because sometimes in therapy, we talk about hard stuff and I want to make sure that when they leave my office, they have things they can do to take care of themselves. So that's always a part of my treatment plan, but most of it's collaborative. For younger children, I'm relying a lot on what parents are saying. Mm -hmm. Hey, what are you seeing at home? What are teachers seeing at home? And that's kind of how I make a recommendation for treatment plans moving forward.
0: And what happens if the client, say, doesn't have any family or they're on their own?
1: So if they don't have any family and they're on their own, they're most likely staying in our shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's how they ended up seeing me. And at that point, I'm working with a whole team of people, right? They have a case manager. Um, they have staff that they're close to. And so, again, it's collaborative. Hey, what are you guys seeing? Are they eating? Are they coming out of their room? I'm looking for functioning, daily living, functioning. Have they showered? Those are things that are indicators of mental health. If they're staying at the shelter, I see the clients for therapy regardless. But sometimes if they're struggling more, um, I may recommend additional treatment. So I have a couple clients right now who I see for once a week therapy who stay at the shelter, but they need a little bit more support. So they also go to an intensive outpatient program during the day, and that's a short-term four- to six-week program where they receive group therapy for multiple hours a day. And so if I feel like they need more than once-a-week therapy, then I start looking at outside resources to bring in.
0: And for those outright outside resources, if you feel they're necessary, um, would that also come like pro bono or at a very low cost for these clients?
1: Yeah, that's a little bit more complicated. And that's where, you know, lack of access to mental health care is just a huge issue um, in our country, especially for young people. But we do have connections with facilities that accept a lot of insurances and accept Medicaid. Um and so most clients that come to us have some type of insurance or we're able to get them connected to insurance. And so even if they have Medicaid, um, we have a couple programs that do accept that insurance. But typically, intensive outpatient programs do come at a cost because at those programs, they also see a psychiatrist uh, and it's a facility.
0: Right. So as um these clients are usually coming from low income, underprivileged communities and sort of touching on um both the mental health crisis our country is facing and the homelessness crisis, crisis um could you share some of your most like impactful experiences you've seen with clients that sort of reveal um the crisis both crises that our country is facing
1: yeah absolutely um i have one um family in particular that i was working with for a long time um with uh a young girl, She, when she first started seeing me, she was 10, um, and it was her teacher who first alerted mom, hey, something's going on. I think that counseling would be beneficial, and gave mom our resource, because the schools know who we are and know, hey, this is a place where you can receive free counseling. So mom came and brought uh, the girl for an assessment, and there was a lot of housing instability that the family was going through. The family was staying in hotels at the time um, and wasn't able to afford an apartment, so they had lived with different family members, Um, there was a lot going on, dad wasn't in the picture, in and out of jail and being deported, Um, and so this 10 year old was suffering with some mental health issues as a result. Um, And she was one of those clients who needed more than once a week treatment. So she ended up coming into our shelter to get a little bit more support uh, and saw me once a week for individual counseling and once a week for family counseling and also attended an intensive outpatient program. She did did have Medicaid. So um, that was covered. And then a lot of it was helping mom and supporting mom um, and connecting the mom to resources. And so that was a challenge because it's different than a typical, you know, therapeutic relationship that most people would go and pay out of pocket for a therapist and go once a week and sit in their office and talk about what they need to talk about. With this family, it looked a lot different. I would see the kid and the family, and we were helping provide resources. And so the mom did end up getting some housing support and they are in their own apartment. Um, and we did get them connected to long-term counseling resources and the mom was able to get connected to a therapist, but that was a, that was a case that was pretty indicative of the mental health and housing crisis in our country right now, really.
0: So it seems like when you connect with your clients, especially since they're kids, you're sort of connecting with the whole family, right?
1: Absolutely. If that's something that can happen, that's the best option. Um, I do respect confidentiality though. And I always tell my clients, you know, what's said in the therapy office is confidential unless it's a safety risk, unless I'm worried that you're a danger to yourself or others or you're being hurt, what you say in here stays in here. Um, But I do really advocate for the family to be involved as much as possible as the client feels comfortable as the kid feels comfortable because I know that that's what's best for them
0: right have you had have you seen cases where um you weren't able to um make the impact you're wanting to make on a client um within those eight to ten sessions and if so how did you deal with that situation
1: Yeah, it's not uncommon for, you know, in the initial assessment, I get a a part of the puzzle, right? I get puzzle pieces of what's going on. And then, you know, sessions three, four, five, as clients start to feel more comfortable, more starts coming out. And I start to realize, oh, this is going to need longer term treatment than what I can provide. And so at that time, I start having conversations with the client of, hey, I want you to get connected to the help that you need because you deserve that. And so then, again, it becomes collaborative of working with the teenager, if it's a teen, or with the family of finding services that are accessible to them so that they can get started with someone who can provide longer-term treatment. But that's not uncommon. Um, I've had two clients recently where I transitioned them to a longer-term therapist so that their needs can be met. I
0: see. Um, and out of curiosity, how does City House handle um, patients who have language barriers or are not fluent in English?
1: Great question. And that's something that um, is something that as an agency we've struggled with. You know, there are a lot of Spanish speaking families looking for low cost or free counseling resources. Unfortunately, I am not fluent in Spanish as much as I would love to be. Um, And so those are the calls that we get most often are for Spanish-speaking families. And we don't have any therapists who are Spanish-speaking. So I do have a couple of places I refer to for Spanish-speaking families. One of our case managers speaks Spanish, which is really helpful. But um, if we have a client who speaks English and and parents who do not speak English English, It's just not super helpful for me to provide counseling because again, I know that the family unit is where the most change happens. Now, if I have a 17 year old who is coming in for therapy and they speak English, and their parents don't, and there aren't a lot of safety concerns, I may still see that client because they're older. But if I have a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old come in, and and parents, I'm not able to communicate with parents, I want them to have a clinician that speaks their language, and it's a part of their culture. Culture is a huge part of who we are. And, um, And so that's something that I'm always looking at, too, is connecting the family with someone who understands their culture, maybe more than I do.
0: Right, definitely, and how? What are the steps for someone who's interested in receiving sessions at City Like House? Like, how do they um get started? So they can call
1: our main number and say, "Hey, I'm looking for counseling for myself or for my child." Um, on our website, there's also a form that you can fill out under the counseling tab with just a little bit about what you're looking for, and then at that point, either I will reach out or one of our interns will reach out to make the first connection and that's kind of how we get started.
0: Okay. And by the way, the work you're doing is amazing. I mean, this is super impactful and inspiring work. I really appreciate
1: that. I really love that you're spreading mental health awareness um, you know to your peers. That's amazing. And I think one of the biggest things that teenagers can do to make an impact is to be a positive influence and to spread awareness for taking care of yourself. So I really appreciate what you're doing.
0: Thank you. You know, the main purpose of the podcast really is just to elevate the stories of other people. And I hope that when more people hear your story and what you do at City House, um, we can help out in your mission in any way possible. But um, one of my questions for you specifically is, you know, what inspired you to take on this particular line of work?
1: Yeah. And why did
0: you choose City House? Great questions. Um, yeah, growing up, I went through some hard
1: things. And so I was a teenager who needed a therapist. I needed someone to be a support to me. And as I grew older, I realized that I wanted to be that support for others as well. And um, just saw the impact that a caring outside professional can have on a young person's life and really wanted to be that for other people. Um, I grew up around the foster care world. I grew up around, um, a lot of the things that, you know, my clients face as well. And so that's something that I wanted, I wanted to be a part of that as a professional and I chose city house. Well, I, I city house kind of chose me, honestly, mm-hmm. um, When I was in graduate school, getting my master's degree, you have to have an internship and I was matched with City House. And so I started at City House actually as an intern, as a graduate level intern, and then moved into the case manager position as I was working on getting licensed. And then after I was licensed, that's when I moved into the therapist position. I love City House. I love what we do. Um, Man, I can't imagine being anywhere else.
0: Wow. This story is very inspiring. Well, thank you.
1: I, I like what we do. I think that we have a lot of people who really care. And I think that that's the most important, you know, we have a team of people who are fighting and advocating so hard for these kids. Um, A lot can get done.
0: Right, right. Definitely. And for any future um, therapists who are listening, what would you say is the most important quality to have, especially in this line of work?
1: Um, that's a good question. I, I think I have two answers for that. Uh, the first one is just compassion. I think compassion is, is huge, um, to be a therapist, having that empathy and compassion for your clients. But I think also for yourself, um, I think for anyone who wants to be a therapist or work in this line of, of work in this field, My biggest advice is to do your own healing and to do your own work, Um, figure out who you are and what you need to work on and really strengthen your own mental health. When people talk about mental health, um, I think that they forget that it's, it's really the same as your physical health, right? You go to the gym and you eat healthy to take care of your physical health. You engage in coping skills and go to therapy and take care of your brain to take care of your mental health. And so, those are the some of the things I would tell any students who are interested in this field.
0: Definitely, I mean, mental health is something that's just as important as physical health, but unfortunately, a lot of people don't recognize that yet.
1: Right. I think mm-hmm. that I think that the work has started. Um, I've definitely seen a, seen a shift towards the direction we need to be going in, which is encouraging.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely and so sort of bringing it back to the um overall like homelessness crisis housing crisis mental health crisis what do you think are the biggest obstacles that um people are seeing in general for getting mental health support or getting housing would it be you know just an overall lack of financial and emotional support um inadequate health care coverage like what what ex- based on the experience you've seen since you're on the forefront seeing this firsthand, like what obstacles are you seeing um, for these issues?
1: Um, I mean, yeah, everything that you said, I think it's the big system problems, right? The systematic oppression that people face um, are just huge barriers. I think for mental health care access specifically, typically mental health care is really expensive. And even if you have health care and coverage, Getting an insurance plan that covers mental health is also a challenge, and so I think it's the big picture problems that create barriers for people. So exactly the things you said, things like adequate housing and healthcare. You know, when you think about, um, I don't know if you're familiar with. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but for anyone listening, I would recommend looking at that diagram. But, you know, the basis um, that people need are basic needs, right? Housing, food, shelter. And so if people don't have housing, food, or shelter, how can we expect their mental health to be in a good place? And so really, I think it starts there at the basic needs.
0: Definitely. And that's why the the guy, the work that you guys are doing at City House is so impactful, like you're bringing those basic needs to people who really, really need it. So, again, I, I say this, but it's just it's really inspiring. I mean, I talked to um, Ms. Wilson and now hearing from you, I mean, wow, the work that City House is doing, it honestly brings me to my last question. Like, how can us listeners help out City House and help with this current situation?
1: Yeah, I think as students, the biggest thing I would recommend is keep your eyes open. You know, there are people in your school who are couch hopping. There are people in your school who need mental health care, but don't have access. And so, you know, you guys can look out for each other and say, hey, do you need help? Do you need support? You know, looking out for your peers, I think is the biggest thing you can do as students and continue doing exactly what you're doing, you know, spreading awareness for mental health and taking care of yourself. So gosh, I think you're already doing that work.
0: (laughs) Thank you. And definitely, I agree that I think the first step is just being there for each other. Kindness goes a long way. Yeah. Um, you never know who is struggling. So it's always the first step is to be kind for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And is there anything um, City House specific wise we can do to support your mission? Um, I think that
1: Christy, Miss Wilson probably has more of um. A pulse on specific needs we have. We always have um, an Amazon wish list of things that we may need. Um, that is on our website. Things like paper towels and um, Gatorade. You know, we we have we make backpacks for our homeless youth who are you know unhoused and so we often have needs to pack those backpacks for our street outreach clients and so i think that that's a great place to start is exploring our website um if people are interested in seeing what's on our amazon wish list
0: definitely i'll put that link in the description then perfect um, i think that covers pretty much everything i mean i definitely learned a lot more i feel a lot more aware about this current situation that's going on. And, you know, hearing your experiences and your work is just very inspiring. Um, So thank you so much for taking the time to be on here and speak with us. Um, Before we go, please show some love for our podcast by leaving us a review. Stay tuned for our next episode.